The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. We're on every episode of this show. I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. And joining me today, you know, I'm always excited about my guests, but today I'm especially excited. I have with me Dr. Kelly Brogan. I'm going to read your credentials so I don't mess them up. She's super accomplished, but I've followed her work for years. She has, she's a holistic health psychiatrist, author of the New York Times bestselling book, A Mind of Your Own, and now the author of a children's book, A Time for Rain, and Own Yourself, which is the newest book. She's completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell Medical University and has a BS from MIT in systems neuroscience. She's definitely not dumb. She's a board certified, she's board certified in psychiatry, psychosomatic medicine, and integrative holistic medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brogan. It's good to have you on here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. You know, again, like I was telling um, and saying in the opener, I've followed your stuff for a really long time, and I think you know, this, the work you do is uh, amazing. Talk to us a little bit about how you just landed in the world of holistic psychiatry. What does that mean to you? I feel like my biggest criticism of our field is that these terms are kind of thrown around and there's really no like boundaries or definition around it. So talk to us a little bit about what holistic psychiatry is. Yeah, so it's an important bit of context that I have lived on both sides of these, you know, uh, of this conversation, and that I am a totally conventionally trained psychiatrist, very much believed in, you know, the pill-based um, symptom management approach to treatment, so much so that I specialized in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women. Uh, so I thought that that was the only legitimate, scientifically based approach to human suffering. And the difference between that model and the model I practice in now and have for the past 10 years, and that is most relevant to how I put even my own autoimmune condition into remission, um, is that the holistic model, if you will, asks the question, why? Why is this happening? And the implication of asking why is that there is meaning. Right, and, and that meaning, particularly in the realm of, of chronic disease and psychiatric illness, can range from you know, a simple undetected micronutrient deficiency all the way to uh, psychospiritual issues or even an intergenerational trauma. Yes. Right? So don't ask the question why, we can never personalize this to you and you will always feel like this um, narrative layer of sickness, illness, brokenness, just kind of obscuring your vision, right? So you can't see beyond it. You can't see beyond your labels, your diagnostic um, sort of, I don't know, titles and, and the med associated medications. So that's why I see this as a freedom-oriented approach, yes. really about um, getting you free of all that. Definitely. And again, even for us in practice, that why is so important because every person, every patient has a different story and a different reason to have maybe a psychiatric issue. How did you make that transition from conventional to holistic? And, you know, you wrote the book in 2016, A Mind of Your Own, which became a New York Times bestseller. Talk to us a little bit about what that book focused on, how you made this transition into the world of holistic psychiatry, and a little bit about your newer books and kind of what you're focusing on there. Yeah. So it was um, an interesting kind of 
I guess, uncomfortable window in my life where uh, something was rattling the cage inside me, right? And I was pregnant. I was in my fellowship specializing in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women. And I just remember I was writing a prescription for Zoloft for a patient. She was pregnant. I was pregnant. And I thought, I would never want to take this, right? And, And I just empathically connected to all of the the people who, who actually don't want to take medication, right. right? You only take medication because you don't feel you have a legitimate option and because you're afraid, right? You're afraid of whatever's going on. Other people have, um, you know, induced fear in you. And I just ignored that. It was very inconvenient, as you can imagine. And so it wasn't until about nine or 10 months postpartum, my first pregnancy, when on a routine physical, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and it wasn't like a mild, um, you know, sort of on paper situation. My antibodies were in the high 2000s, and my TSH was 20. It was underway, right? And uh, I thought, well, I don't want to take Synthroid for the rest of my life. There's got to be another way. And so it was through, uh, I fell down a rabbit hole, and it was through um, my researching this other path and finding that there's actually a large body of evidence to support the role of lifestyle change and specifically nutrition. That was my focus at the time um, in resolving chronic illness. You know, you would have thought I would have been so excited because in the space of a year, I put my illness into remission. And not only that, but I felt in my body for the first time. I mean, I went from pooping like once every two weeks to having like totally normal gastrointestinal. Yay, <laughs> no, it's like missing was any sense that anything was missing, you know? Right. So many people tell me that. Yeah. So. I mean, because doctors, we don't learn about health. We learn right. about pathology. So I never knew what a healthy body would feel like. I didn't know right. I didn't have one. And so it was, it was at that time that instead of feeling enlivened and excited, like, wow, I, I put my illness into remission. I didn't even know that was possible. I felt enraged. I, I just accessed this geyser of, of indignance and righteousness and rage. And I felt like I just dedicated almost a decade of my life, blood, sweat, and tears to this system. And I learned like one little keyhole's worth of the truth. And I was paying attention. I've always been a science nut. I've always been very comfortable on PubMed. And um, I felt very angry. So I said, well, what else didn't I learn about? Right. And at that time, I was given a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic, uh, mm-hmm. as the universe would have it, by a colleague. And this book, written by investigative journalist Robert Whitaker, asks a very simple question. If we have more treatment for psychiatric illness than ever before in human history, why is it that we also have escalating levels of disability? you know, such that depression is actually the number one cause of disability, according to the WHO. Wow. Right. What's going on here? Right. And he presents 16 studies that are non-industry funded studies. So I had not heard about these um, in, in my training and makes, I think, a very bulletproof argument for the iatrogenic effects of psychiatric medications, meaning the doctor induced harm that these medications are responsible for. And had I not just had that experience of putting my own illness into remission, I never would have been open to this. Right, right. Um, and, and I would have defended, you know, my $200,000 of debt and all of my, <laughs> get out of here with that. Like yeah. I, I can show you the science for what I'm doing. Right. And that's when I first encountered that science can tell any story. Yes. And so which, which story interests you more, right? Is it the story that says, you know, we are a product of our genes and we're subjected to the random forces of bad timing and bad luck? 
and you just got to do the best you can living your life and surviving until you die. Or a story that says, actually, everything that's unfolding is, is precisely and exquisitely designed to present to you an opportunity to know yourself. So such that your, your, the process of your life is in service of answering the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. What am I here to offer the world, right? On a deep level that that understanding can come from within. And it has to do with learning the language of the body. It has to do with learning how to be in a body. Yes. To be in a body, right? right? And especially when we've been enculturated around this idea of, of dualism, right? Where the spirit is out there and the body is the dirty, sinful thing down here. Mm -hmm. And can we embrace a worldview that actually sees you know, material as having inherent spiritual beauty, right? And so that worldview, honestly, it just feels better to me. It feels safer to me. It feels more interesting to me. So if we have more science- hopeful. I, you know, it's more hopeful Absolutely. too. I mean, otherwise, you know, so many people come in and I'm sure you see those too. It's like, oh, it's in our family. Oh, it's in my genes. You know, yeah. this is the way it is. And I'm, it's like, I always feel like I'm like a little rat being like, no, 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 no. You know, you don't understand. You can change this stuff. You can change the story. You can change your genetics. You can change your generations. You know, you can change. You know, there's so much power to change. So, you know, I think choosing the other, like you said, is so much more of a hopeful, you know, story, for, you know, for the entire human race. I mean, who wants to live in this sort of, you know, this is the end. This is the be all. There's no other way, you know. Lots of people. Lots of people want to live in that story. In fact, the vast majority want to live in that story. And that's what I discovered, um, you know, pertaining to, to your question. So, you know, when I was in this anger state, I put it all in this book. So Mind of Your Own was like my sword aloft, you wow. know, I'm heading out to the battlefield <laughs> and I dare anyone, you know, yeah. to argue with the science that I've uncovered that indicts, you know, this medication-based approach to specifically depression, but to mental illness on the whole. And, you know, I thought, well, once anyone reads this book, they never touch a medication again. Right. And I found out that's not actually how it works, right? <laughs> how much backlash did you get? <laughs> a lot. Not only that, and that I expected, you know, yeah. the book was blacklisted. You know, my publishers had never had an experience like that. I was not. Wow. And honestly, it didn't upset me or bother me because I already understood the nature of, you know, pharma subsidized media right. and that kind of a thing. What, what confused me more was that there were still people who chose to take medication. Right. And, and that's because this isn't about science. It's not about information transmission, right? It's about a readiness to step out of victim consciousness. And the truth wow. is that when you're not ready, you're simply not ready. And since the book's publication, in 2016, I mean, what has unfolded in my own life, actually, because of course you finish a book about a year before it publishes. So 2015 right. until now has been, you know, I've, I've had many a dark night of the soul, many opportunities to encounter in a very humbling way, the things that I wasn't ready to deal with until the moment I was ready to deal with them. And mm -hmm. so it's elusive quality. Um, and it has something to do with how victimhood feels validating. It feels familiar. And it feels like the kind of surrogate comfort and power of being right, mm. right? I call it being right about being wronged. It's the, it's the only thing we've known. It's the closest thing we've known to love is to feel like we're right about being the way. Right about being wronged. 
Yes. What victim consciousness essentially is. And people you're saying stay in that comfort zone, can't move past that comfort zone. All we know, it's all we know. It's all we're, we're raised to know because the audacity required, the personal responsibility required, and, you know, germane to my, my newer book, Own Yourself, the self-ownership required to show up with vulnerability and understand that as power is, is very novel. It's in the zeitgeist now, I feel, in, in our, you know, at least a segment of our cultural um, sort of context and milieu, but it's, it's very novel to us because we, most of us, right, grew up in households where there was the idealized child, right? So we knew what our parents wanted. They preferred that we eat our dinner, that we get good grades, that we not cry, that we cooperate, that we go to bed, whatever it was, right? Maybe right. they preferred that we be a cheerleader or, a, or an athlete or we get a 4.0 average. Um, and once we knew that idealized child, once we understood you know, intuitively what conditional love felt like, then we had to curate our personality, right? So we had to hide all the parts of ourselves that might have lost us love. And to a kid, that's an existential peril, you know, to counter lost love. It's not just a bad day, right? Like this is life or death stuff. But we carry that pattern. And because in our culture, unlike many indigenous cultures, we don't have any concept of personal initiation beyond adolescence into adulthood. Right. It's like all running around scared little kids pretending to be adults and, and, you know, just say the wrong thing or, you know, take away our job or, um, you know, throw some infidelity into our marriage. And you can see the little kid that was always in there, right? The yeah. tantrums that we have, the inability that we have to hold emotions, metabolize them and, and, and stabilize ourselves with equanimity. Right. So, so this process of adultification also involves a departure from the medical system as we know it, right? Mm -hmm. Because our medical system is, is our, is that perfect parent we never had that, mm -hmm. that is with right. our wellness is going to yeah. tell us exactly what to do and is here to save us, here to help right. us. Huh. And when you leave that behind, it's only because you understand the locus of that parent is within. Mm -hmm. Some people call this reparenting. Um, this concept of parenting oneself, of providing oneself the needs that cannot be achieved or attained by external sources and certainly not by, by medical authorities. And so that's kind of the stuff of this next book, which is really more about living this lifestyle, what it is to um, move beyond just meds or no meds and really understand what it is to inhabit a worldview that, that is in service of cultivating self-love and personal liberation. Like what, what does that look like? Wow. So these are, um, for anyone out there watching or listening today, I know these are deep concepts, right? They're probably not easy to grasp right away, but I think they're so important. I think they're so critical. And, you know, for, I've noticed this, I've talked about it. I did a TED talk talking about how the struggles that we have, the emotions that we have are coded they're coded in our DNA and they're passed down. And we as women in particular, it's not only coded, but it's passed down for generations unchanged and unaffected by who we marry, you know? So that science is also equally, you know, telling and compelling and has a story there. But that piece of victim consciousness, that piece of not being able to stabilize your emotions, to manage your emotions, that's an epidemic. 
you know, yeah. and that's helping, and you know, that's really affecting everyone from really little children. I mean, it's crazy some of the things we're seeing in children today to, of course, our adults and to women in particular, where anxiety, as you know, is like the number one mental health piece. So for anyone out there watching or listening today who's, who's trying to wrestle with this, who's trying to grapple with this, and maybe asking yourself those questions, you know, do I have victim consciousness? Am I feeling right about being wronged? And do I hold in that and identify with that? What would you tell them? What would be like two or three things that they could do even right now while they're listening, you know, maybe later today or tomorrow that they could make actionable to start pulling themselves out of that mentality and taking ownership and parenting themselves just as you so beautifully described. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't think there is an exception. Um, I think we all, all have these stories. I, I can't imagine that there could possibly be somebody who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this work for a number of years um, through many different modalities I detail in, in the book. And I catch myself all the time because they just sometimes they have more subtle costumes, you know, like my victim story might be like, well, I, you know, I did the best I could. I tried to to show up to my mom as, you know, mature and calm. And she just, she just wasn't ready. She couldn't handle it. And she lashed out at me anyway. You know, there's a victim story. Right. In there, right. right. And, you know, I, I had an interaction recently with um, one of the teachers at my children's school. And, and I felt like there was kind of like a misogynistic little angle in there. And I'm very triggered by that topic. And, you know, I went to all my girlfriends. I said, can you believe this? Like, Blah, blah, I got them all riled up in there is a victim story like oh poor Kelly who was mistreated at you know at the right. parent thing you know right. so, so they they hide they don't always say well it's not fair but deep down they say well it's not fair right? right so that's the signature is like the it's not fair why me you know after all I've done I've tried so hard like there's a two-year-old most of us I mean I know I've been told you know through therapists I work with that I have like arrested development at like 18 months right so yeah so, you know it's it's it starts very 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 early um and so first is to just look for it because it's going to be there. So there's no shame in finding it. It's almost like a fun game to, to be able to ferret these out because once you do, you can kind of laugh at yourself a little mm -hmm. bit. Right. And, mm -hmm. and you can first, first, first forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is actually, it's, it's almost like more like a mantra. And I think it's a very advanced state to know what it means to deeply forgive yourself. That I, I think comes far later in this process, mm -hmm. but first you can just say, it's okay. It's okay that I did that. It's okay. I feel that way. You know, it's okay that I, you know, I needed to feel right about that. That's all right. So first you can say, okay, if there's emotion that's very active, which sometimes will be the case in these, you know, victim stories, then something that I teach and I've worked with patients around is very simple visualization where you imagine that it's actually a same gendered child, right? not necessarily yourself. Because if, if you are, were charged with taking care of a six-year-old little girl, I'm pretty sure you would do a high integrity job at taking care of her, right? And if you were, you know, screaming and crying in the corner, you wouldn't go over to her and say, okay, so give me the evidence and I'll, I'll help you decide if you were right or not. No, you would say, oh, I see you're so upset. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's okay, you know, and I, and I, you would validate her, you would soothe her, simple sentences, one, two words, right? That's the kind of exercise that 
we literally, I even imagine turning into myself, like I'm looking inside and, and I'm interacting with this little girl. She's the one feeling it. I'm the one comforting her, right? And this is a simple exercise to begin to separate out the, the adult consciousness. The adult consciousness is the one that is always watching, that always knows that everything is fundamentally okay. Mm. At all moments, no matter what, right? And that allows for the emotions to be. Because if we fuse with the adult consciousness, we have something called spiritual bypass, which is everything's unicorns and rainbows. There's no, no problems here, nothing to see here. But meanwhile, there's like turmoil and nastiness and ugliness right. growing just below the surface. Right. right. And if we fuse with the child, then our life is like, you know, it's as if we're driving a car and there's a tantruming toddler in, in the back seat and we're like, wait, where do I go? Do I go right? Do I go left? Oh, oh, slow down. Okay, wait, what next? Right? Yeah. But you're driving the damn car. You don't need right. a toddler's right. guidance or, or directions, right? So the, the distinction and the coexistence of these two um, kind of nodes is is where it's at, right? Like that's what freedom is so that you can have emotions, allow, let them rip, right? That's the only way they're going to transform, but that there is a watching eye that fundamentally is containing the experience so that you can experience the safety that you never experienced as a kid in experiencing these emotions, right? Mm -hmm. and that exercise is another. And then a last one is just a very simple, like kind of coming in contact with the body because I focus a lot on first things first and on physical healing, even though a lot of what we're talking about is psycho-spiritual and emotional. Um, because in the end, if we don't know how to be in our body, if we don't know how to relate to our body as a transducer of these deeper messages, then we've lost the, the most sophisticated technology that we were gifted in this lifetime, right? right? And so in these moments where we can get swirled up in emotion or we can dissociate and get stuck in our mind, sometimes a simple exercise of putting your hand on your head, on your forehead, putting it on your chest, and then putting it on your belly, just kind of serially over and over and over again. And just internally say, open open, open, because these places either somewhere in your face, your chest or your belly are going to hold that tension. It's, it's like, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, you think of like a, like a, what do they call it? Like potato bugs, you know, the way they curl up, mm -hmm. that's how we, we protect all these places and we tighten up. Right. So if you can begin to dialogue with your body, remain present to your body, even as you're experiencing these emotions, sometimes all it takes is a hand on your body with intention that you can start to have all the players present to, to these processes. And once you have one experience of this, you can't unknow it. You just need one entry experience of owning your vulnerability and kind of looking at it and saying like, wow, look what I just did. That's so interesting. I've probably been doing that for a long time. I'll probably do it again, mm. but now I know. Now I know. And that to me is, is power. So those are so helpful for all of you guys out there watching today. I hope you can put some of that into action. Where does medication fit into this equation? We talked about it right from the start of the of what we were doing here today, but where does it fit in? Is there a role for medication? You know, if so, how much of a role? What are the biggest concerns you have about medication when it comes to treating, you know, anxiety, depression, the host of psychiatric things we have going on today? Because I think what 
maybe somebody might answer us back and say, well, if you're in such a dark, deep pit of depression or in such a heightened state of anxiety, you know, you may not even have the wherewithal to comprehend what you're saying or even to put some of these basic acknowledgements of your childhood self, your adult self, kind of meeting yourself in the middle. You may not even have the bandwidth to do that. So how do you get somebody out of that? thick, heavy, black fog that they're sometimes in where they can't see the way out at all. Yeah. So, so my most recent book has three parts, right? And the first part is basically just an education about the role of medications in our relationship to pain, Mm -hmm. right? And suffering and how there might be more to the story than we've been told. The second part is about how to start right? And I'll circle back around to that. The third part is about what we've been talking about for the, you know, the past 20 minutes. So we've kind of, you know, we dove in the deep end. But, But when I say I believe in an order of operations, it's for the exact reason that you're describing. Because to do child self work, when you are, you know, when you have brain fog, constipation, um, you have a diagnosis of lupus, your hair's been falling out, you are, you know, taking thyroid medication, and you haven't slept in three weeks, not this realistic. Totally unrealistic, right? It's it's, yeah. it's not even appropriate. It wouldn't even make sense, right? So I, you know, I like to say it's like the Zen, say like chop wood, carry water. First, start with the basics, right? And that's why I am so passionate about this very basic thirty-day protocol that I've come upon through my own healing, but also that I've operationalized not only in my practice for ten years, but now at scale in our online program, Vital Mind Reset. And this protocol, it's like do not pass go right? This month has to exist in your life as an adult if you are struggling, you know, to this extent. And some people might say, oh, well, that's fine. You know, a, a wellness protocol for the worried well, but what if, what if I'm really right. sick? You know? right. mm-hmm. And I was very lionized by that challenge years ago. And I started to work with people who have treatment resistance, schizophrenia with uh, bipolar disorder and associated suicidality, people who have been state hospitalized, people who have had 45 rounds of electroconvulsive therapy, basically the people for whom the conventional model actually doesn't work, despite their best efforts and all of their belief in it. And I have an entire team of clinical volunteers who support me in writing these up. We publish them pretty much every month. Mm -hmm. Um, These are history-making cases that come out of this protocol. So I know that it works. And I I have the science for why it works, which basically is that it sends a signal of safety to the autonomic nervous system and allows the body to self-regulate on its own in ways we cannot induce, certainly not through medication, any more than we know how to engineer biodynamic soil. No, we can create the conditions for it, but we don't know how to make it happen, right? So this is just about creating the conditions for your body to heal. One of the biggest players in you know, neuroinflammation at the root of a lot of these very severe illnesses is gluten antigenicity, yeah, right? Yeah. It sounds so faddish and so like blog worthy, but there are, I could show you over 200 you know, published papers that support the claim that, the, that gluten antigenicity plays a role in brain-based inflammation that can induce psychosis, right? So you don't right. need to go on a spiritual journey if all you need to do is stop eating bagels, right? And, and literally that could be at the root. Um, and we, we were literally just published a case of uh, this young man whose mother was going to take him to be euthanized in Switzerland. Oh my God. Literally. He was on Clozeril, four other medications. He was so sick and disabled and grossly psychotic 
She did this protocol and five weeks later, he had quit smoking, he was applying for a job, and now it's about a year and two months later, and he is in formal remission, according wow. to psychiatrist. So, you know, to me, that's, you know, it's only a miracle if the old story can accommodate the truth of why this happens, right? The old story says food doesn't matter, and in a new story, food matters. So it's not a miracle, it's just cause and effect, right? So I believe first that, then you'll have so much liberated energy, of course, right? Because you're not gonna be leaking all your energy right. on symptoms right. to begin to explore these levels of, of healing. And I've also found there are other ways. You know, I have a, a membership now that has schooled me on the fact that not everybody needs to do the 30-day deep dive and that some people can start small and have a little bit at a time. And many people can handle and are interested in these deeper level emotional concepts up front, right? So it can be totally tailored. But I think if you're somebody who's very, very severely struggling, I can, you know, certainly offer this portal. It's a, it's a one-month portal. Beyond the, that portal, it's your journey, right. you know? I do know that this, that this is like a doorway and I would want the evidence that it works. You know, like when I worked with my mentor, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, part of the reason that he inspired me so deeply was because he had hundreds and hundreds of cases supporting the evidence for his natural approach to treating terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. I needed to see that proof, so to speak. Right. So I, I understand, you know, that people would want that. And that's a big part of what I've dedicated myself to providing. But in the end, I believe in informed consent and I am certainly not here to tell anyone what to do, but I, I do believe that it's a great tragedy if with, if with information you would have made a different decision. Right. And you know, in the current age that shouldn't exist, it's unnecessary pain and suffering, right? So if we can provide the information up front, and that's obviously what I've tried to do um, in, in, in this book and, and, and others, um, then People can be liberated, you know, to do what they're ready to do and do what feels right, do what feels resonant with their own belief system. Um, but I think, you know, the trouble is that when we are presented the dominant medical orthodoxy as the only option and the only legitimate option, then um, many other very viable, if not more viable options for a given individual get sidelined. And I, I, I hope to play a part in diminishing that dominance because there is certainly science and evidence to support many other um, paradigms as, as even offering what conventional medicine doesn't even offer. I mean, they don't offer cure and remission. That's not even a part of psychiatric language. I never offer that to patients. So if you're looking for symptom management, that's the path. If you're looking to transform you know, what it is that you are up against and struggling with into your own personal understanding and personal empowerment, they're not offering that, right? right? I never heard the word soul one time in my entire right. uh, practice, you know, as a psychiatrist. And, and interestingly, that's exactly what psychiatry needs is doctor of the soul. So, Do you think there, are there studies out there linking victim consciousness to neuroinflammation? Uh, they call it helplessness. Okay. You know, appropriately yeah. so. And yeah. so. Yes. And often it's social isolation that is one of the uh, factors that can induce that sense of helplessness. Sometimes it's social rejection. Um, They even do these in animal models, interestingly. And I I think it makes a ton of sense that there is a neurobiological signature to, you know, victim consciousness, helplessness, dependency, fear, of course. And then there's a neurobiological signature to a sense of personal empowerment, a sense sense of hopefulness, and a sense of control. 
because ultimately, you know, when you make choices that are well within your control and you feel in your body that those choices make a difference, that is highly disruptive to the dependency model that says none of the choices that you make matter, you know, because all that matters is your genes and your doctor's going to tell you what to do. And he's the authority or she's the authority. Right. So there is a, a signature shift in the neurobiology that I think must have a very big role in the outcomes that I see. And that's why I focused, you know, chiefly in this, in this most recent book on the role of belief, which people, you know, obviously like Bruce Lipton have been speaking about for many, many years um, with extraordinary evidence to support, you know, the claim that it is a primary uh, player in, in medical outcomes. Fascinating. Well, we went deep really fast. What would you, what would you tell somebody out there who's looking at the two of us going, Oh my gosh, what would you tell them if they're on medication right now? What advice would you give to them if they're suffering from anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, OCD, all these different things that we see yeah. today. What, what would you tell them? I know we have, you have some really great practical steps lined out in your book. And the book, everybody, by the way, is Own Yourself. Her first book is A Mind of Your Own. There are probably amazing companion books. So if you haven't read either one, I would encourage you guys to, uh, to really grab both of those, especially if you're swimming in this world of trying to understand your own mental and emotional health. And you know, like Dr. Brogan said, we all are, quite honestly. Who's not? I mean, every day there's a new challenge. The extremes may differ, but we're all doing this thing called life. And I think exactly. we're all trying to find who we are on the inside and really see that come out on the outside. But what would you tell the person out there who's on medication and who's not really sure where to start when it comes to their medications? Yeah. So, so nearly, I would say like 98% of the women I've ever worked with came to me on medications. So that, that this is, these are my people, like this is my population, right? Um, I would say if there's anything about this conversation that lights a little spark, that it's very important to honor that, right? And, and, and certainly I'm in your corner, you know? I've, I've provided all of the evidence that your scientific rational mind might need. Um, and there is a path and many people have walked it before you and you can also do it, right? When you're ready and you'll know when you're ready because you won't be able to repress that pull towards, you know, that curiosity around um, what it is that you could be without the label, right? And without the, you know, associated um, bottles that you open every day with your name on them that essentially in ways say something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with the way that you express yourself, with the way that you feel, with the way that you think. And, um, and certainly I, I'd like to think of myself as being here to, to, to tell you that there's nothing wrong with you and that you're not crazy. And then in fact, society has misunderstood people like you um, who I believe to be exquisitely sensitive beings. I call them the canaries in the coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. Who are the ones that actually accurately sense all that is wrong with the way we're living today. It's a very long list, right? Of the ways that we are misaligned with our most optimal expression um, and our treatment of this planet, right? So what if the people who are most sensitive to that are the ones who can't pretend that everything's okay, who right. can't punch the clock nine to five and say, oh, there's nothing to see here. And what if we call it mental illness, but in fact, you know, those who are acting as if everything is cool um, are the ones who are fundamentally dissociated in, in a way that others are incapable of, and for good reason, right? Because their souls are, are won't, they won't tolerate it. Right. So this reframe, 
is, is an, a very important beginning to the conversation. And the, the journey and the path is, is what I've tried to kind of lay out. Um, but also I know that these individuals are very internally guided, you know, so they, they find the way they make it happen. I mean, there's whole, there's a whole internet universe of, of people who have done this without my protocol, without my help, you know, and they just find a way. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not challenging. So I'm a big believer in community-based support. I don't think this path is meant to be walked alone. Um, and that's kind of my only caution. And then the last thing I'll say is that I often reference my Angelou's quote, um, you know, when you know better, you do better. And I've used that all the time to dispel feelings of self-judgment and shame, you know, because if I look back on myself 12 years ago and I say, wow, she was really, you know, really asleep. And I can't believe I used to eat McDonald's and you know, take birth control and dye my hair. And I didn't even know what meditation was or whatever. If I'm judging that person, then I'm fundamentally living in a judgment-oriented universe where there's a gold star at the end. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what we're doing here. So we can relieve ourselves of that and just say, listen, this is a spiral process. We're going to come around and around and revisit things over and over again. There's always going to be another chance. And as you, as you get information, if it, if it finds a home, you're going to do differently. And maybe you're not that time around. So maybe it'll be the next spiral around. You're going to get that information again. And then maybe then you'll do differently. But there's no inherent judgment in it. It's just kind of allowing yourself to engage the self-discovery process, engage the process of learning about who you are, the whole of you, not just the parts that you've learned will, will bring approval and appease wow. others and yourself, you know, that there's a whole part of you that wants attention and it's, it's not going to stop. It's like, it's like that screaming kid. You've locked, you've locked her in a room, but you can't turn the music up loud enough not to hear her. She's in there. Right. Amazing, amazing work. I am such a fan of yours. Keep doing what you're doing. I think this is such an important message to get out there. And for everybody who's listening and watching today, I think, you know, I talk a lot about being a superwoman and finding your superpowers, but essentially we're talking about finding yourself and being the person that you're meant to be. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Um, I'm over at kellybroganmd.com and we have tons of starting point resources there for free and certainly a whole team available to support anyone interested in this work. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's been amazing. I could probably talk to you for another hour and a half, but for everyone else, thank you for joining this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Every episode, we're trying to make sure you are super powered. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. And don't forget, we're on Spotify as well. I'll see you guys next time.